Last year, I decided to learn how to play pool. I noticed that the billiards table at my gym were rarely used. So after each workout session, I would have the room all to myself. And I would practice. I tried to remember what my grandfather taught me when I was a child. Over the years, I've played pool with friends, but the games were always casual. I never paid too much attention to the rules, and I certainly didn't have much of a strategy. Playing pool gave me an opportunity to try something new. I experimented with different stances and different ways to hold and align the cue. I fostered what seemed to work, and I ignored what didn't. At some point, however, I realized that I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if my stance was correct, or if a correct stance even existed. The bridge I made with my supporting hand felt comfortable, but yielded inconsistent results. At times, my shots were accurate. At other times, though, to someone watching, it looked like I was shooting with my eyes closed. I really wanted to understand the game. I wanted to know that what I was doing, from my form to my pocketing strategies, made sense. And I knew I didn't have the answers. So I watched video after video about the game of pool. I learned that I needed to change my stance. I had to reposition my elbow. And my supporting hand, known as the bridge, was nowhere near the closed or open techniques most players used. And that was just mistakes in my form. But form is a major part of the game. Instead of being frustrated or overwhelmed by my errors, I was excited to have a direction for improvement. Because the tips that the players in the videos offered carved a pathway to success. Their suggestions were ones that came from years of experience, years of practice, and years of making their own mistakes. And as I explored some of the videos on ball placement and pocket strategies, I realized I had to work on my ability to see the larger picture. The good pool players are able to visualize the next few plays and where they need to position the cue ball or any of the other balls for each shot. I'm still not great at pool, but slowly and steadily, through these tips and lessons, I hope to develop a consistency and a fuller appreciation for the hobby. And when it comes to Star Wars and collecting, there's always room for all of us to learn and to grow. And I'd like to share with you some of the lessons I've learned from my years of navigating the collecting world. This is the art of shooting galactic pool. This is the strategy behind pocketing the pieces meaningful to you. This is a collection of eight key tips to help you along your collecting journey. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Stars systems will slip to me off. 
use the Force and become a Jedi like my father. The Force will be with you. Always. In 2019, I published an episode titled 10 Important Tips for Star Wars Collectors. At the time, I had wanted to share lessons I had learned as a collector, in the hopes that they would help you on your collecting journey. In preparing for that early episode, I spent a lot of time reflecting on what helped me to become a better Star Wars collector. And in listening to the episode now, I can truly say that the tips I shared are still timely, still helpful, and are ones worth highlighting in a podcast episode. Whether you've listened to it in the past or have yet to hear it, I'd certainly recommend it. It is episode number eight, and the title again is 10 Important Tips for Star Wars Collectors. In fact, I'd recommend pressing pause on this episode and listening to that one first. Because this episode really builds on episode eight's foundation. The tips in this episode are not updated versions. They are new pieces of advice, ones I've learned while creating more than 100 episodes over the past few years. During the pandemic and the resultant rise in collecting, we've seen a new wave of collectors enter or return to the hobby. And as we've grown and collected together, I thought it would be helpful to share some of the valuable lessons and tips I've learned along the way. And like the information in episode 8, the tips in here are ones you can carry with you for years to come. They're broader in scope, and they require a bit of reflection and analysis on your part to figure out how to apply them to your own personal path. But I've tried to give you examples from my life as to why I consider each tip to be important. So if you want to begin with Episode 8, 10 Important Tips for Star Wars Collectors, feel free to do so. And if you're all caught up and ready, here are 8 key tips to help you along your collecting journey. Number one, the art of saying no. No. As collectors, we don't say it enough. We like the word yes. In fact, we like it a lot. Yes, I think I'll buy that. Yes, I think I'll take that too. Yes, might as well buy it because I can always sell it if I change my mind. Yes, I probably need four or five of the same figure. Yes, I might as well finish the Kenner run with the droids and Ewoks figures. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, please. No, thank you. Sometime between 2018 and 2019, I found myself saying yes to a lot of purchases, especially as I expanded my interests to include modern figures and prototypes. I said yes to prototypes from lines in which I wasn't particularly interested, but I bought them anyway. When it comes to production figures, I'm not one to turn down a Return of the Jedi figure at a good price. And soon I found myself with multiples of Klaatus, Squid Heads, Admiral Akbars, and Chief Chirpas. Nine carded Darth Vaders? Sure. Fifteen blue Snaggletooth figures? Absolutely. I reached a breaking point after returning from Star Wars Celebration Chicago in 2019. I had spent $700 on a bag of prototype parts from Power of the Force 2 in Episode 1. And while it was fun to go through them and to piece the figures together, 
I finally conceded I was out of my lane in which I had worked so hard to remain. I went through the prototypes I had acquired over the past few years and saw a number of pieces I was thrilled to own, and some items that just didn't fit. They were the result of attempting to go in a direction that I abandoned just as quickly. From that moment, I made it a point to say no and to turn down offers more times than I said yes to picking up an item. And within a matter of weeks, my collection improved. My focus tightened, and that new filter helped me to spend more wisely on the things I really wanted. I'll never forget that time in the spring of 2019, because it truly made me a better collector. There's something gratifying in saying no to an item. Often we get caught up in the shiny new thing that appears for sale, and it's not until after we've spent the money on it that we realize we never really wanted it in the first place. By leaning into saying no more than I said yes, I honed my interests. I still have a number of lines I collect when it comes to modern Star Wars prototypes and will never turn down a value-priced vintage carded figure. But I'm much more deliberate in my purchases. Taking a breath and examining items have helped me to better decide whether I really want them, and why. And those rarer yeses, the additions to my collection, become all the more meaningful. Sometimes we pick up pieces because we want them. Other times we pick them up because they're popular, or because everyone else has one. Or they're a signifier of a serious collector. Or they give us clout among our fellow collectors. Sometimes we're just wired a certain way and have a compulsion to buy. Or we merely think we like the excitement of acquiring something, but it usually doesn't last. And there are a hundred other reasons our brains try to convince us to make these purchases. But saying no is a powerful thing, and your collection will be all the better for it. Number 2. Trading Strategies Last year, I hit a point of frustration when it came to picking up items for my collection. Prices for the Kenner carded figures soared far beyond what I was comfortable paying. And the modern Star Wars prototypes that fit my focus rarely turned up. I was content to limit my vintage purchases to items I found at local toy shows for fair prices. But I wanted to explore new avenues in my hunt for the modern prototypes. So I decided I would try to trade for them. When it comes to prototypes, many of the desirable pieces that others have are ones that are never offered for sale publicly. Vintage and modern collectors own one-of-a-kind pieces and special pre-production examples, and are only willing to part with them in exchange for other special items. And thus, they can only be acquired through trades, with friends and fellow collectors. In the fall, as I was cataloging some of my prototypes, the idea to trade hit me. It re-energized my interest in collecting, and allowed me to approach something familiar from an entirely new angle. I knew that others were likely experiencing the same frustrations that come with searching for specific and rare pre-production pieces. And my trade offers might help them to acquire something they'd been hunting as well. Over the course of a few evenings, I went through my collection and carefully considered which items I'd be comfortable trading. There were some that I had purchased, but no longer fit any of my foci. 
Others were ones to which I had never had an attachment in the first place. And there were a few that I didn't really want to part with, but would do so if the right trade came along. I took photos and shared pics of my trade bait with fellow collectors in private chats and in some of the prototype collecting groups. At first, I received offers that didn't entirely fit my areas of focus, but were really interesting. And even if they didn't lead to a trade, they resulted in some really interesting conversations. I got to know a number of collectors better and met some new friends as well. I learned what others were hunting, and that's information I keep in the back of my mind in case I'm able to help them in the future. Through trading, I was able to acquire some Clone Wars prototypes and other pieces that perfectly fit my focus. A few of them had been stored away in boxes for years, and no one even knew they existed. The trades were always fair, and were something to celebrate. And each deal was a positive experience, as my fellow trader and I viewed it as a wonderful win. Trading has been an exciting addition to my collecting experience. It builds bonds between collectors, for there has to be a sense of fairness and trust for it to feel like a success for both parties involved. And trading is not limited to prototypes. I don't know how many collectors trade carded and loose vintage figures, but there are many benefits to doing deals with others. For one, you get to know those who share a similar passion. You also develop a reputation for being a reliable and trustworthy trader in the community. Another benefit is that it can also be cheaper to obtain items this way. Often the ones we've had in our collections are ones we purchased years earlier. The prices we paid for these figures and items were likely less than their values today. So the figure you bought for $100 eight years ago may be worth $1,000 right now. If you're looking to receive an item in the same $1,000 range, trading the piece you own for it is like spending the $100 you paid originally. And sometimes, if someone really wants the piece you own, they may be willing to trade something with a higher dollar value or level of rarity to reach a deal. So if you're looking for a fresh take on your hobby and you're comfortable trading with others, post the items you've selected to trade and explain what you're looking to receive in return. But be flexible with what you're targeting as well. You never know what someone may offer you and how it could impact your collection. A word of caution, though. Make sure your trading partners are people in good standing in the community. Arrange to trade in person at a show or convention when possible. Otherwise, if the transaction happens over social media or online, get to know the person and ask for references. Only trade if you feel comfortable and make sure it is a positive experience for the other person. You'll never forget the successful deals and the friendships made in the process, and the new items in your collection will be forever marked by great memories and great stories of how you acquired them. Number three. Go where the spotlight isn't. The time during the pandemic brought a renewed interest in collectibles. And in doing so, the prices for all things Star Wars spiked, especially for the Kenner toys. And when you've been collecting for a while, paying the prices these figures commanded in 2020 and beyond was tough to accept. For many of us, it didn't make sense. 
and made collecting financially stressful. And that can overshadow the essence of a hobby, which is to provide enjoyment. Collecting carded and loose figures lost a little bit of its luster over the past few years. People were chasing them because there was a lot of money to be made. And others were speculating on specific figures and items, even outside of Star Wars, and were driving up prices along the way. I had no urge to compete for collectibles at those levels. I have been very happy with my carded figure collection for a while. Over the past decade, the hobby has brought me joy, but I refused to pay what the market demanded during this recent frenzy. So I began to look elsewhere, and I went to the corners of our hobby where the spotlight wasn't. Moving away from the blinding lights of the Kenner Star Wars figures and some of the modern lines that were skyrocketing in value, I sought out areas previously unexplored by the vast majority of collectors. The collecting world affords us many challenges, and diving into parts of the hobby outside of the spotlight pushed me to learn about aspects in which very little information existed. While other collectors were competing to outbid one another for vintage Star Wars on a very crowded highway, I was taking a back road with my new interest, going at my own pace and taking in the scenery around me. Now the shift toward where the spotlight wasn't came organically. It was a natural progression from where my interest initially stemmed. And while it may be fun to explore other regions of collecting, stepping away from your current focus might not be the right path for you. It shouldn't be something forced or something in which you spend your money if your heart isn't into it. But it is something to consider, especially if you're facing frustrations with the current state of collecting. Or you may simply need a change of pace and a chance to recharge as a collector. The same thing happened to me with modern prototypes. I really enjoy the Clone Wars and the animated series that followed it, and wanted to add some prototype versions of the characters I had grown to love. At the time, I was collecting vintage Kenner figures exclusively. And as a new Star Wars trilogy swept into theaters across the globe, the spotlight was mainly on the vintage figures due to the nostalgic connections collectors had with them from childhood. But the animated series resonated with me as well. I found myself building connections to these new characters and these new stories. So I fully committed to pursuing modern prototypes and went where the spotlight wasn't. I loved walking across new terrain as a collector and Star Wars obsessive. And since very few people cared about modern prototypes at the time, I was able to pick up some really significant pieces and many of the main characters associated with the series. And without an influx of collectors to bid up the prices, I purchased the majority of my prototypes at prices far lower than what their production counterparts sell for today. And I met some wonderful collectors who weren't vintage collectors, but shared a similar appreciation for the modern items. But those lesser explored roads rarely stay that way for long. Whether it's due to collectors searching for the next exciting thing, or resellers desperately scouring for new profit ventures, you'll have a small opportunity to get the pieces you want at good prices. And that's where a thoughtful approach to collecting is important. You want to take the time now to anticipate the items you may want in the future. It's a very tricky thing to do. But going where the spotlight isn't and exploring those regions may help you immensely in the long term.
Number four, setting a budget. A friend recently told me about a rather large purchase he had made for his collection. It was two action figures still sealed in their original packaging. While they're not Star Wars items, they're iconic figures, and the price for each was pretty substantial. But these toys were very special. They're visually appealing and are pretty difficult to find complete and in good condition. And to find them sealed and how they first appeared on store shelves makes them exponentially rarer. My friend wanted them for a long time. And at this point in his life, he is able to not only pick up the pair, but he is in a position financially to pursue other figures in the line as well. So he did something that is both wise and rational. He set a collecting budget for the year, putting aside a specific amount of money to be used for this pursuit. So far, he had spent 20% of his budget on the first two figures. And most of the other figures in the line were in the same value range, with a few of the rarest ones at considerably higher prices. I was incredibly excited to hear about my friend's collecting challenge. But what I found most fascinating were the parameters he had set for himself. Hunting for something new is often an interesting way to mark the year for a collector. And in beginning this new run, he researched values in advance and figured out the cost in pursuing the figures. Before making his purchases, he needed to understand the market for this line. He also decided the condition he would target. Due to the line's rarity, he predetermined the flaws he could live with and the condition issues that would essentially be a deal-breaker for him. If you're chasing after certain Star Wars figures, prototypes, or other Lucasfilm-related memorabilia for your collection, I'd recommend setting a budget and sticking to it. Having an annual budget is a smart way to collect. You could set an overall budget, giving yourself a specific amount to spend on anything related to the collectibles for the entire year. Or, if you're targeting a specific batch of items, like a portion of Kenner 12-back figures or all of the vintage collection figures produced in 2011, you can choose how much you're able and willing to devote to your challenge. A budget is a great way of keeping yourself financially accountable. Collectors love to collect. We love buying things. And we're really good at it. And the problem is that whether it's a few really big purchases or a bunch of little purchases throughout the year... It can really add up. And overall, working within a budget does wonders for our collections. Knowing you have a fixed amount you can spend will benefit you in a number of ways. You'll be more aware of what you really want to buy, and you'll figure out what you're willing to spend. You'll also be pickier about the condition of the pieces you purchase. And you may even become more patient in your hunt as you'll find yourself settling for less or acting upon those impulses that cause us to bring home pieces we merely like instead of ones we really want. And once you set a budget, try to stick to it, especially if the values of collectibles rise over the year. You'll know what works best for you, but discipline in spending and snatching up pieces is a skill that many never grasp. Also, you can always add to your budget but in a way that won't take a dent out of your savings. Every few months, go through your collection. Take note of the items that either don't mean much to you anymore, or ones that don't fit your focus, and sell them. 
You can either return that money to your savings, or you can use it if you need to stretch a bit on some of your targeted purchases. Or you could use that money for something very important when it comes to collecting. A war chest. Number 5. Building a war chest. Collecting can be a battle. It's a fight to locate prototypes and production figures. It's being vigilant about getting to them first. And it's having the resources to pay for them if and when they land in your lap. Imagine if someone reached out to you tomorrow and said, I'm selling a collection of carded Star Wars figures. Are you interested in buying them? Or a friend tells you a fellow collector is parting with a stack of vintage proof cards and is checking to see if either of you wanted any before putting them up for sale in the collecting groups. Or you see an ad for someone liquidating their entire modern Hasbro action figure collection which totals hundreds or thousands of pieces and covers lines from the past 25 years. Or your dream piece, the one you never thought you'd have a chance to own, is finally available. Do you have the money to make it happen? Now some of these examples are a bit extreme, but as I've learned over the years, when it comes to collecting, we never know what tomorrow brings. And often, following the familiar idiom, When it rains, it pours. The essential question is, are you ready? As much as I'd love to own a Luke Jedi hard copy, if one came up for sale, it would probably be out of my price range. But if an Ahsoka Tano first shot surfaced, believe me, I'm ready to purchase it and have some extra money in reserves. I remember hearing about some of my longtime vintage collector friends, They would be at an auction and would simultaneously be on the phone with friends trying to raise funds by selling pieces from their collections. Competition is ramped up, especially since the pandemic sparked a collecting renaissance. Collectors scour estate sales and auctions from their phones, and there are so many eyes on almost everything that surfaces. And the three things that can separate you from the rest of the pack is knowledge, a little ingenuity, and the funds to complete your purchase. And the way to make sure you're ready is by building a war chest. If you're able to do so, put some emergency collecting money aside. Add to it whenever you sell pieces from your collection. Figure out what you'd need to have on hand in case something pops up that you couldn't turn down. And don't dip into it for lesser purchases. Because it all happens to us at some point a door will suddenly appear out of nowhere. It slowly opens to reveal something that makes our eyes widen, our hearts race, and our hands tremble. Those are special moments, ones often beyond our control. But you and I can be prepared. Build that war chest. Protect it. Keep it close. And then use it to make those special moments, those once-in-a-lifetime collection-defining moments, a reality. Build that war chest. Number six, catalog your collection. How well do you know your collection? Do you remember the details about it? 
like when you purchased the items in it, how much you paid for each, and from where and whom did you get them. For some collectors who specialize in sheer volume, keeping a record of all these transactions would be an overwhelming task. But if you are truly curating a collection and genuinely care about the items you bring into your home, cataloging what you own may really help you. In Episode 8, titled 10 Important Tips for Star Wars Collectors, one of the tips I shared was to keep a record of your purchases. I began doing so more than a decade ago, and it has helped me to understand what I own, what I paid, and what the items are worth. But this year, when prices jumped during the pandemic, buying collectibles became less appealing. Like a number of collectors, I was frustrated for a time, but I found a way to enjoy collecting again. And the answer had been right in front of me all along. When activity in collecting rises, it's often easy to get caught up in the hype and to focus on acquiring more things. And as a result, we often neglect the pieces we already own. The ones we've spent money on. Sometimes hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. Our previous acquisitions can feel less important because we already own them. And if we're always looking to the next thing we can get, then we're really missing out on understanding what we have. Once I came to this realization, I shifted my focus from what I didn't have to what I had been fortunate to own. I knew I had a fuller understanding of my production figures and collectibles, but did not have a grasp on my prototype collection. Because my interests spanned multiple lines, it was difficult to keep track of what I owned. I had not put the time into delving into the details or histories behind them. And although I had records of my purchases, that information was scattered across emails and photos in my phone and in my computer. It existed within various platforms, but I needed to funnel it into one location. So in the fall, I began to create a spreadsheet of my prototypes. I began with the 6-inch Black Series line and started logging the pre-production pieces I've collected over the years. It took a while to go through everything, and I jotted down notes about where each item fit into the production process. And once I had all the items cataloged, I started to enter the data into a spreadsheet. I expanded the spreadsheet to include elements like when and from whom I purchased the prototypes. I went back through eBay emails and screenshots to figure out dates and what I had paid for them. And I aimed to get as granular as I could with the information, down to the unique colors of a figure's joints. I noticed things I hadn't previously, like the aspects that differentiated an early sculpt from a modified one, or alternate colored accessories, or the changes once a figure reached the final stages. And I honestly surprised myself with how many examples I had been able to acquire for one character. In a way, for me, it was a celebration of a passion and of a collection I had curated over the past six years. I had to spend time with each prototype, examining it and learning about it to the best of my ability. And reviewing them brought back some wonderful memories, hearkening back to a specific toy show or meetup, or moments with friends. This year, I plan to continue cataloging my prototypes and hope to begin my work on the next figure line soon. My goal is to create a comprehensive spreadsheet of my collection, so I know what I own, where it came from, what I spent, and any other details I can glean from my research. A number of our friends keep spreadsheets as well. 
They log in things like date stamp variations on modern figures or cardback variations for the Kenner ones. Or they keep track of things that are not necessarily in their collections, like the sales of certain items over the years, or how many of one particular piece exists. And for me, cataloging my collection was a great way to shift my focus back toward what I already owned, giving me a better understanding and a greater appreciation for what I had. It's amazing the gratitude that can come from a simple spreadsheet. Number seven, keeping a hobby a hobby. Collecting Star Wars memorabilia is a hobby. That's how it began for most of us. I felt you and I needed a reminder of that. So here is the definition of the word hobby. A pursuit outside one's regular occupation engaged in especially for relaxation. Outside of one's occupation and for relaxation. I've spoken to collectors who pursue Kenner employees routinely, and a lot of them burn out on what becomes a second full-time job. The competition and stress can be unhealthy. I see a number of collectors running the hobby like a business. And in order to keep it running, they have to continually find inventory, continually be in the forefront of people's minds, and convince people to buy what they're selling. I have friends who are only happy when they have a big find, and in between it and the next one, they are miserable. And we all get caught up in the weekly drama that occurs when you're dealing with valuable items, ego, addiction, miscommunication, hurt feelings, and everything else that comes with a complex community. The world of collecting will never be perfect, but it's easy to get caught up in the negative aspects of it. I certainly have, and still do. And that part is the antithesis of a hobby. It's never relaxing or enjoyable. And it's easy to let things eat at us, to treat moments in collecting like they're of extreme importance. And sometimes, maybe they are. But most of the time, we're talking about pieces of cardboard and plastic, no matter how historically important or valuable they may be. And I know this is much easier to say than to actually put into practice. But remember to keep your hobby a hobby. Surround yourself with those who share a similar heart, who encourage you and edify you, as you would do the same for them. Enjoy the fact that we live in a time in which Star Wars is a cultural phenomenon, and that there are many others with whom we can discuss the films, series, and collectibles. If your hobby does not bring you joy, then ask yourself, is it still a hobby? Number 8. 
people over things. I've saved the most important tip for last, and I'll keep this one very short as well. Collecting is largely about things. When you began collecting, it was likely a solitary venture, something you did on your own. But what makes our Star Wars community so special are our friends and fellow collectors who figured out a way to make a personal hobby a collective one. Over the decades, they have sought out others who shared that same interest and found unique and exciting ways to connect and to build meaningful relationships with them. Collector and Empire State Club member Chris Riley said something to me a while ago that is worth repeating. He told me that when he was planning a large event for the club, he shifted his spending habits. Instead of buying things for his collection, he decided to put his collecting money into creating an experience for his friends to enjoy. And from speaking with him since, I know there isn't a day in which he regretted his decision. And I've learned that what we get out of the hobby is what we put into it. There's a way to balance the acquisition of things with personal and connective experiences with others. I'll leave this one up to you. If you're interested, ask yourself, how can I put people ahead of things? How can I impact those around me in a positive way? How can I build lasting friendships? Some answers will come easily, and some may be a little tougher. And that's okay. It takes time to ponder on these deeper life questions, but they're worth the reflection. I just celebrated a birthday this week, and with every passing year, I realize more and more how short life actually is. And when I think about our hobby, the memories I hold dearest are the exciting, funny, and special moments I've shared with friends I've made through Star Wars and the collectibles. People over things. That is a nugget of wisdom many have shared with me. Figure out what it may mean to you. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Star Wars Prototypes and Production. I hope these tips are helpful as you navigate the world of Star Wars and collectibles. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I have 10 more tips you might find interesting as well. And you can find them by scrolling all the way back to episode number 8, 10 Important Tips for Star Wars Collectors. And if you'd like to help me and your fellow collectors, please leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Your review could convince someone to give prototypes and production a chance, and may get them connected to our creative and amazing community. And when you have time, go back and listen to this episode again. I know it was a lot of information to digest, but I think these tips are things on which you can ponder and figure out how to apply to your collecting journey. And I think finding a balance within our hobby is important. You have the ability to curate an incredible collection, but you can also have a positive and connective impact in the lives of those around you. So while you're creating your collecting strategy and your approach to the hobby, I'll be busy preparing our next adventure. The end of the month will be a really exciting one, 
and I can't wait to take the trip with you. See you next time on Star Wars Prototypes and Production.